0: Welcome, everyone, to season four, episode 133 of the Premiere Pod. I'm your host, Yashbika, joined by my co host, Tyler Chan. And in this episode, we're back from our week break for Thanksgiving. Hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Um, Obviously, During Thanksgiving, a lot of soccer was still going on, especially in the Premier League. And there was some big news that actually came out while we were gone, oddly enough. It was the sacking of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Manchester United decided to make the move to sack him. And they placed uh, Michael Carrick on the interim role. And while uh, the Thanksgiving break that we kind of took was going on, the whole process of like they were basically deciding who was going to be the next interim coach or the next uh, manager for Manchester United. There was a bunch of names being thrown out there. And eventually, um, the name that – who has been linked to with Manchester United for a while now and got the job was Ralph Ragnick or Ragnik. or. Ragnik. I'm trying to say the name, but uh, the last thing is tripping me up, but he is the new Manchester United boss, at least for the interim, uh, for the rest of the season. He was given a six month contract and he, after the six months is up, he will be given a two year consultancy role at the club, which will basically allow him to almost be a pseudo director of football. And this is basically where, Ra- where Ralph has made, basically made his money during the past couple of seasons. He has been a manager at RB Leipzig, but Um, If you talk to anyone, um, there's actually kind of a cool background on him, but he is one of those guys that's really good at kind of overseeing the football operation of stuff and kind of bringing in the right players, bringing in the right coach, you know, putting a big philosophy and having his hand on every single minute detail of the club, whether it's from the academy, the sports science, the data, you know, the coaches, the players, all of that. Ralph Ragnar, he's that guy to basically go in basically get his hands dirty on every single part of the club and you know put apart I guess paint his picture or the vision that he wants the club to look like I think it's a big move I, I'm really happy with this move I think first of all I'm excited to see what he does as a coach because if you didn't know um the whole I guess background around him is that in Germany at least he's known as the godfather of gang and pressing and if you don't know what gang and pressing is um Essentially, that is the philosophy that Jurgen Klopp has made famous, especially at his time at Dortmund, and then bringing it into the Premier League at Liverpool, which is that really high intensity pressing, winning the ball back, running, you know, basically running rapid for that heavy metal football that we associate with Jurgen Klopp. Has come from Ralph Ragnick, and he has had his um, philosophy, and he's had his hand in some of the best German coaches out there, especially the likes of Thomas Tuchel, who just recently won the Champions League with Chelsea. So. Both Tuchel and Klopp have gotten a lot of um, support and I guess a lot of their tactical ideation and kind of philosophy from Ralph Ragnick. Almost, I would compare Ralph to the German version of Marcelo Bielsa, whereas Marcelo, Marcelo Bielsa... A lot of Spanish coaches like Pep Guardiola has kind of gotten a lot of inspiration for his tactics, tactics from Marcelo Bielsa. Ralph is kind of the same way when it comes to Tuco and Klopp. So I'm really interested to see how Ralph kind of comes in with this new style of this gang and pressing and this high intensity football. And I think this is just a big benefit for the squad because as we've seen, this United squad is very talented, but it is missing um, for the longest time under, under Ligana Solchar was missing that very... I guess tactical frame of setting up the play, style of play, so not just playing off the cuff and just relying on individual talent, but actually having a pure, solid, well trusted game plan and just rolling with it. And I think a squad with this much talent, given that game plan, I think, I think you know the expectation is high. Again, I think they can achieve a lot with uh, with this new manager. So I'm really excited to see what United look like, especially under the eye of astute tactician such as Ralph Ragnick. And you can see, Yesh is very excited. Like yeah. he's he's <laughs>
1: over the moon with this kind of move because it's been a long time coming. Basically, it's been when is Ollie going to leave? Even we had like a previous episode just titled Ollie Out, like not yeah. too long ago, and finally happened. Of course, over Thanksgiving when we're like, all right,
0: let's take a break. Like nothing's
1: going to happen, right? He's like, we're just going <laughs> to you know take a Thanksgiving break and then we we'll just come back. It's like nope, that's when he gets sacked. And then Michael Carrick, he, he had a pretty decent run three games. Yeah. And Ralph Rednick, like out of nowhere. But as you said, yeah, Michael Carrick actually was kind of surprising. But I feel like you don't want to fall into that fool's gold again, where it's like, oh, the indoor manager did all right. (laughs) Maybe you can sit a little longer. Yeah. Like Ole Gunner's Soul Shard 2.0. So, yeah.
0: No, I, I say like, um, Real quickly on Michael Carrick, he did, uh, the club did announce that he was actually stepping down as first team coach. So he won't actually be involved as assistant coach or um, anywhere near with the first team. So after 15 years as a club, as a coach and player, uh, Michael Carrick is leaving. And, you know, obviously he's a United legend through and through, been part of the best um, run of United squads, won the Champions League, won multiple Premier Leagues. But uh, I will say that I actually think Michael Carrick actually might have a future as a coach somewhere. Um, you know, if it's Manchester United, I don't know, but definitely a future as a head coach or a manager at a smaller club or kind of developing his ranks because um, from what we saw from those first three games with against Villarreal where they had to go into a hostile environment, basically won to get the U, um, UEFA Champions League round of 16 qualification Um, went to Stanford Bridge, a really tough place to play and managed to get a point there and then beat Arsenal at home. I think uh, there were some traits we saw, like a good manager there. I think he definitely does need to, you know, kind of build up some more experience. But I I think he has the traits to be a really good manager someday in the future.
1: Mm -hmm. He had his kind of CV put out there, like his resume with these three games. But at the same time, I will say they got a little lucky with some of these results. Like Man U didn't really look the best. In these three games, they looked yeah. a little rejuvenated where it's like, oh, there's a new voice. You have a little bit of that new manager boost coming through, but at the same yeah, time... I will,
0: I will say, though, it, it was tough because it, it wasn't a complete revamp of the coaching situation. So he did have to, I guess, in a sense, kind of when Solskjaer left, the squad was really out of confidence and kind of in shambles. So he had to kind of do his best to pick up the pieces and just roll from there. Um, so there was there was you know moments of, okay... You know he definitely has a future of like you know whether he gets a job somewhere else maybe in building his cv at the championship or in the scottish premier league or something like that and then moving on from there but yeah i i was i think a lot of united fans were also pretty impressed for what he was able to do with such short notice given how um bad the results were before he was named interim manager mm-hmm. with solskjaer at least you know
1: rangers just lost their manager so yeah <laughs> I, I assume they already have a new one but yeah you know, michael Carrick wants a new gig and Rangers is still open uh, you, you think they can take another Premier League legend so there we go <laughs> but hearing the news altogether of just gonna Solskjaer being sacked it, it was kind of like that Carragher and Thierry Henry meme where when <laughs> Liverpool sacks Brendan Rodgers and Sky Sports had the news break out with Thierry Henry and Jamie Carragher live like the R. he kind of looked at Jamie Carragher and he kind of put his his hand on his thigh as if like something big <laughs> is about to happen, and Jamie Carragher just staring like dead eyed into the camera, like <laughs> this is like a big move. Yeah, I, I basically sent that same thing to Yush, and I was like, "This is your moment. Like it's it's finally <laughs> happening." And now you're getting like you're basically your own Klopp at this point. Klopp himself said in the press conference after one of the games where, after hearing the news of Ralph Rodnick going to Manchester United like, this is a great manager to have in the Premier League, but it's, it's bad news for all the other teams. It's it's not <laughs> great. Like this is, it's not great for other coaches because he's going to be really good. And he's going to bring, as a lot of other pundits and say, have said in the past few days, is that he's going to bring a plan as opposed to under Ole and Solskjaer. I felt like every single week was kind of like, all right, <laughs> how are we going to get by? How are we going to get this dub this time? Yeah. How are we going to get away with this? Whereas I feel of Rodnick, because of his background, where he's been a director, he's basically had a lot of projects, which we're going to dive into in a sec. But like he's a very meticulous man. So he's going to instill his Gegenpress Press kind of style into the Manchester United team. Kind of bring out players that maybe not get any minutes, that maybe fit the mold a little better, like Donny van de Beek. And basically, we're going to see like a huge... We should theoretically see a huge revamp. And it shouldn't look at all like the Manchester United of the past few seasons, this should yeah. be kind of the most different we'll ever see him for a while. And mm-hmm. it's just going to be high press, high crazy, potentially high injuries, <laughs> <laughs> like how we saw Liverpool under Klopp during his first season. But yeah, it's going to be a lot different, heavy kind of metal football as Ralph Radnick himself kind of put, that's his style. Like he hates having possession just to have possession. He likes to make sure if they're off the ball and don't have, possession that they get it back immediately and once they do have it they just go high press and just go straight into the opponent's opposition and then just score as quickly as possible Mm -hmm. so it's basically like i mean he he managed red bulls and it kind of fit the tone with what (laughs) red bull is as a supplement and his style of play everyone's just cracked
0: Yeah, he also, um, I guess speaking some of his experience, he was also a manager of Leipzig when I think they finished, I think third in the Bundesliga. Or Mm -hmm. yeah, it was that season when Timo Werner was going off. I think it was 2017 or 18. Um, But that was kind of the season when RB Leipzig were kind of shocking the. Bundesliga and kind of the European world were like, oh my gosh, where's this team coming from? Um, but beyond that, I believe he was a manager at Schalke, right? When they actually did yep. reach the uh, semifinals in the Champions League where they actually faced Manchester United and got beat by them um, that year. They made it to the, the Champions League uh, semifinal. But um, his hand coaching is really impressive. But um, I think I mentioned this before, but I think a lot of fans, Manchester United fans and pundits have been saying is that beyond his you know six-month role as just head coach, they're really excited to see what he can bring in those two years as a consultant, uh, you know, in a consultancy role at Manchester United because that's ultimately why he decided to take on the job because initially there was rumors that United offered him just the interim six-month role and he declined because he, he was the head of sporting development at Loc- Locomotive Moscow. Uh, but as Tyler has mentioned, this is a type of manager, a type of person that's really meticulous and kind of a, um, I wouldn't say nitpicker, but more of a, Control Someone that was yeah yeah <laughs> almost almost like control freak, but in a good way where he kind of wants his ha- hand in every piece of the pie almost where he wants his influence everywhere you see around the football club, and I think um uh, this is really good because I would say for the past couple of years we've kind of seen a shift in Manchester United where. I guess when oh, I guess I wouldn't say Ole, when Sir Alex Ferguson retired, you had a bunch of business people running the club where you had Ed Woodward, the Glazers. They were the ones making all the footballing decisions on who to hire is football manager, who to bring in. And because of that, we saw a lot of weird signings. You know, we saw signings that you, you signed of you signed a Bastian Schweinsteiger, who was, you know, way past his prime. You signed, you know, players like Matteo Darmian, Morgan Schneiderlin, you um, You know, Angel Di Maria. unfortunately, he would have been a really good signing. Just the manager and the type of player he was never really fit style wise. Um, You saw players like Alexi Sanchez signed for the club for big money, you know, big money um, wages. But I would say recently, since Solskjaer has come in, you've signed it, I guess, almost seen a flip from that philosophy where Solskjaer has kind of targeted more younger players in the prime. Obviously, Ronaldo coming in, that was kind of the one one signing that was out there. But, you know, that's. You, you have a chance to sign one of the greatest players in the world or of all time. So, you know, you have to go for that. But um, you saw, see the likes of Harry Maguire, um, Rafael Varane, Jaden Sancho. I mean, all these players from top to bottom, you've just seen a big shift in kind of the overall transfer strategy and philosophy and especially with like Donny Van De Beek. So it's almost like that power struggle of the business people running the club, the football footballing side of the club, at least, has kind of made a switch where you see like John Murto and Darren Fletcher running the footballing side of business. And now with Ralph Ragnar coming in, he's going to be even more in charge of like who to bring in footballing wise. And then this is also a big plus because when you have footballing people running the club, you have a kind of same philosophy of what you see on the pitch. Because I think a lot of times the board may have had an expectation of what they wanted, but the people they were hiring to be on the football pitch weren't fitting that mold where, you know, they were just kind of signing players just to have the flashy name on the back of the jersey to sell jerseys and to, you know, kind of give that aura of like, oh my gosh, we're Manchester United, we can sign anyone. But I think this is also big because, you know, if Ralph Ragnick doesn't stay after six months to be the coach, he can then bring in a coach that will fit the type of philosophy that he will instill in these six, six months. So, you know, having that consistency is also going to be really important. I think United are starting to find a, I guess, in a sense, starting to follow some of the more modern clubs of how they are run with director of football, the the director of football, implementing the transfer strategy, implementing the play style, implementing all of that. And, you know, we see clubs like Liverpool, Manchester City, Chelsea, um, all these top European clubs, Manchester United are slowly starting to kind of, I guess, unglue themselves from the old archaic ways that they, we, they they used to run things into more of the modern strategy. And, you know, we're seeing that with better signings and also hopefully in the future, more consistent and better football. Mm-hmm. It's ironic that when Manchester United were most
1: dominant, they had like kind of one figure, yeah. Sir Alex Ferguson, basically kind of his hand was in everything. And then now it's almost kind of similar where although there's still separation of powers, there's still a director, like a sporting director. Manager, coaching staff, all that. Now, Ralph Radnick's going to come in. It's like, all right, I'm going to have my fingers in a little bit of everything again. Yeah. And that's kind of his style. Like, he literally, besides his tenures as a manager for Schalke, RB Leipzig, he was also a director for basically all Red Bull teams. So, like, yeah, it's
0: Salzburg. He was the one that found Holland to sign. Yeah. For Salzburg. He found Holland.
1: Erling Holland. That, yeah. That guy. <laughs> the Norwegian dude. He uh, basically. For I like this, if it, it wasn't clear, Red Bull owns RV, like Red Bull Salzburg, Red Bull Leipzig, basically RV Leipzig, and also Red Bull, like New, York, like, Red New, York, team? Yeah, New yeah. York Red Bulls, yeah, New York Red Bulls. And there's also a few other teams that just aren't as big, but they're all under basically like the Red Bull Corporation or like they're sponsored by them, basically, but they're all under like one kind of umbrella, yeah. and basically. Ralph Radnick was a director within that umbrella. So he touched a little bit of every single team. So he had his influence on all the teams and a lot of the accolades that would win, like New York Red Bulls winning the supporters shield in twenty thirteen, or RB Leipzig rising from the fourth division of the yeah. Bundesliga all the way to the first division was yeah. also part of his take as Salzburg, well. And also Salzburg mm-hmm. almost
0: being a, a feeder team for the RB Leipzig, you know, yeah. developing huge talents for them. Yeah,
1: like even like Sadio Mane was from there as well. And of course, Minamino, yeah. our guy. Fonki Chen, who's lining <laughs> up the Premier Chan. League,
0: exactly. was part of the Salzburg
1: place. Mm-hmm. And then Shabu Shalai, like the new Hungarian guy. Well, that rhymes, mm-hmm. but... Um, <laughs> but all these kind of players are also sort of in the tenure of Ralph Radnick as well. So, like, he has made a pretty big impact in this whole... Red Bull kind of rise and we've been seeing I mean everyone kind of knows at least one Red Bull team at this point and a lot of people don't even know RB's <laughs> business Red Bull at some points but he basically was the foundation for kind of bringing all this together and it's a little ironic too that although he's the godfather of the gang and press he hasn't really had too much success as a manager in terms of like getting trophies Mm-hmm. Like I'd say most of his success has come from being director and kind of being like sporting director, things like that, kind of more higher level. Whereas when he's a manager, the only trophy he's won is the DFB Pokal, which is like the FA cup of Germany. And he mm-hmm. won it with Schalke in 2010. So there's a lot of questions around there. It's like, is he the one that can help win trophies at Manchester United? Cause clearly that's what they're aiming for. Like they're not bringing in Ronaldo or Rafael Varane and Jaden Sancho And having, you know, Rashford and De Gea in at least near their primes to not win any trophies this season or even next season. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be a lot to implement his kind of style and also win within like a quick turnaround because the season ends in like six months. Yeah. So he has to basically win something within half a year and also implement everything. Yeah. And have like this whole
0: style. So, yeah, well, he's I I will say that, um, that I do agree those question marks about whether he is i guess in a footballing sense the manager if he's capable capable enough of winning i think what's also going to be interesting is that you know realistically i think the premier league is out of the out of the You know, out of the question. Maybe there's a slim, slim chance that they could do it if they go on a crazy run. But ideally, um, but realistically, it's kind of out of the picture. But they still have FA Cup, which is going to be coming up in January, and they are now in the round of 16 of the Champions League. And you have probably, as they like to call Mr. Champions League, the guy that shows up whenever it matters the most in Cristiano Ronaldo. And what we've seen before in the Champions League is that sometimes, you know, I'm not saying this is all the time, but sometimes we've seen teams win it when it's not really, I guess, an overall dominant team display. It's oftentimes, sometimes the moments that matter the most in the Champions League because you can be the best team in the world as Barcelona in 2012, but then you have Chelsea with Fernando Torres come out of nowhere, get a game-winning goal, and they end up going through, even though most people say that Barcelona team probably was one of the best of all time, you know, ever, but they ended up losing in the semifinals, So. And we saw with Real Madrid under Zinedine Zidane where they weren't totally convincing for all three of those years, but they somehow still found a way to make it to the final and win it. And that was oftentimes due to the big time players they had in their squad. And I think the Champions League is one of those games. Like I know we say Jose Mourinho is like the perfect manager for it because it's one of those like one-off games. If you can just win it, you're in. I think Manchester United have the talent to do that because they have a lot of those players that can kind of just pull out a bag of brilliance out of nowhere with Cristiano Ronaldo, Bruno Fernandes, De Gea is capable of making some magical saves here and there. I mean, players top to bottom can make those big moments. So I think it's not out of the question that they can be potential contenders there, but I think um, the FA Cup would be a good, almost equivalent of the DFP, Pokal. And I think at this point, Manchester United, they, they just want to have their hands on a trophy because as a fan, it's been a very long time and we just want to be, uh, in the conversation for a trophy again, because uh, we've come mm-hmm. up short quite a few times in the past couple of years. It's like the Dallas Cowboys.
1: They just <laughs> want one trophy, just something. So seeing Ronaldo hold something at Manchester United, another trophy. That's ultimately the goal for Rolf Rodnick right now. At least the expectations for him as what well, and I are just yeah. fans looking.
0: And luckily, he did come in at a decent time because there's going to be a lot of fixtures coming up, but also United are kind of entering an easier stretch of games. They've kind of went through the really tough, rough patch of October where they had Liverpool, City, Tottenham, Arsenal, Chelsea, Champions League matches here and there. They've already qualified for the round of 16. They've won their Champions League group. They just play young boys at home. And then they have a pretty easy schedule with most of the mid-table to um, relegation side teams in the month of December. So I mean, this is a perfect opportunity for Ralph Ragnick to pick up, you know, kind of accumulate a ton of wins, draws, and just basically keep up a good streak of games to kind of see them through um, throughout the season. But I wanted to quickly point out um, before this, I know we mentioned Olegona Gunnar Solskjaer getting sacked, but I did want to mention um, that, I, I guess I wanted to give my props to Olegona Gunnar Solskjaer because I know the ending um, of his managerial tenure Didn't end too hot. You know, he was losing games left and right, you know, not really the best displays, but it was nice to see that United fans still at the end of the day still respect him because he at the end of the day, he's still a club legend that won us the Champions League in 99 when that famous Solskjaer has won it against Bayern Munich, but also he scored a ton of goals for the club. He is a United legend through and through, Um, and it was pretty cool because at the interview of his exit interview, he started to get a little emotional talking about the project he's built and the team Um, he's kind of laid, you know, he's kind of set the foundation for. And yeah, I I just wanted to give my props to him because when Jose Mourinho left, this squad was in full-on shambles where it was a. Complete disarray of like what is a Manchester United side? You had aging players left and right. You had players that didn't want to be at the club. You had um, out of shape players, and then Solskjaer came in. You know, he basically started a bunch of the things we're starting to see now with Manchester United. He basically was a big advocate of getting a director of football, a head of sporting development. You know, he worked with the Glazers and Edward Ward to make that happen. He also wanted to make the squad younger. So he worked with those signings to you know, make sure we target the right players to get at the club that are young and can make a huge impact and have a ton of potential. And then he also led the, um, I believe, head of science department or sporting, I think it's like the science um, department at Manchester United because before that there was no Basically, when Jose Mourinho was there, there was no tracking data of like players' fitness levels or you know any of that. So when Solskjaer came in, he implemented that in the squad, and now because of that, we have all these figures and this data points to bring off and basically look at players and evaluate their fitness level uh, and making sure they're eating the right foods to stay at peak fitness. So all of that, you know, this this is all down to Solskjaer's reign of like figuring out what was going wrong, and in a lot of ways, he's almost like Ralph Ragnick, where maybe his best you know, days aren't behind the touchline being a manager. Maybe it's actually being head of the football, being a football director or, you know, leading certain t- parts of the football club because it's shown that he he has the vision to lead these things, but maybe he's not the, I guess, the, the person to execute it on the pitch. You know, he can kind of put the puzzle pieces there, but he just needs someone else to execute on the pitch for him because he's done an excellent job of kind of returning Manchester United into a modern football club. Uh, yeah,
1: I'll give my props to Man- she's Manchester not even giving him like the like taking the risk and kind of putting him in that position because yeah yeah at the end of Jose Mourinho's reign you, you can just listen to our old podcast <laughs> it's just Yoshi's it's just it's a rant every single week it's like oh this club is in shambles mate it's we have too much dead wood and all this needs yeah. to change and I feel like Ole is so the, the, the standard for Manchester United was always there. It was always high, but at least he could help bring the team to at least remind everyone. It's like, all right, we can actually attain these standards again and kind of almost reached it at times. Like they got second place last season. And yeah. like even three years ago, like no one would have thought it's like, all right, they can be title contenders eventually. And even to this season, I was even anticipating with Ronaldo coming in and <laughs> Baron coming in. And I was like, all right, they have a chance. They have a really good chance. It's now yeah. and someone else to do it. And it's yeah. Ralph. So and
0: it's, it's interesting, too, because, you know, like you made a good point when Jose Mourinho left. I was complaining a lot about Deadwood players. You know, you got to get all the you know garbage out. But when Solskjaer left, yeah, it was just a really terrible run of form and it just wasn't working out. But in a lot of ways, you can't really look at too many of the United players now and be like, you know, those players need to leave the club. You know, it's just a, a fact of they weren't getting coached properly and weren't reaching their potentials. And I think that is a huge difference in what. Um, Solskjaer was able to bring. I know he didn't bring the trophies like Mourinho did, but he left the club in a much positive and a much more stable state than Mourinho did when he just kind of blew up everything and left. Mm -hmm. If this
1: is like a relay race, I feel like this baton that he's (laughs) handing off to Ralph Radnick is not the last. Radnick's not the last dude. I feel like he's not the one to put it over the finish line. It might be someone else, but I feel like with Radnick, it'd be the right step. And I feel like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer for like the past few months, it's like he just kind of overran. He's like, he should have handed off the baton a little sooner. But it's because, I don't know, He's in, he was in tears during his exit interviews and things like that. But, I mean, I feel like he made some really good progress. Whereas under Jose Mourinho, the, you know, they won a few trophies, I will say. They won the Europa yeah. League. <laughs> they won the treble. Yeah. The, the cheese treble right there. But, yeah. you know, they got to win a legit trophy. So, I think, you know, future's bright. And we'll see. I want. I want to ask you, Yush. Where do you see them finishing in the Premier League now, without any game under Ralph Rodnick yet? And also, where do you see them finishing for like the other competitions? Like, do you see which which competition, if any, do you see them winning or even getting close to a final?
0: That's a good question. I think. Uh, I think now that he's come in, I actually think top four. I think finishing in the fourth place is actually attainable because, as we've seen with Arsenal. They're starting to slip up a little bit. You know, they're not the they're not the quote unquote invincibles. I know I we never said they were invincibles, but, you know, we were hyping them up to, you know, eventually keep kind of keep on that run. But, you know, Mikel Arteta is still yet kind of unproven in that in that sense. I think Antonio Conte has given Tottenham a new form of life and they're definitely going to be in that fourth place conversation. So is West Ham. But with Manchester United's quality, I think they have the most quality out of those three teams and with a proper coach. I think they can do enough to get into that fourth place spot. And in terms of Champions League, I mean, I may sound really crazy. It's it's slim chance, but I, I think they could actually go in there and win it because I think the pieces are there of this squad that they have the quality there. And you know, I look at Chelsea when Frank Lampard left. Did you? Did anyone actually think Chelsea could win the Champions League? I mean, no, not yeah, even. I, I don't think even us. It's yeah, like,
1: we're just like no way.
0: Yeah, I mean, no one thought. And then Tuchel came in, put a game plan in, basically transform Antonio Rudiger and, you know, Andreas Christensen into kind of quality defenders uh, and just transform that squad top to bottom. And I think Ralph Ragnar can kind of have that same sort of influence where he can bring out the best out of certain players and then do enough to keep the squad going. And then you have Ronaldo, who has made his money in the Champions League. So he can continue to come up with clutch goals every now and again. So, I think they have a shot. I think, you know, just like any of the last 16 teams, I think they're they're up there with, you know, having a better shot at winning it. And FA Cup, I think, is attainable. I think they can go far in that competition. It'll be dependent on who they draw. But I think they can do well enough to get probably in the quarterfinals or at least semifinals of FA Cup. And then from there, you never know what could happen. So, I'm expecting semi deepest runs in the Champions League and FA Cup for Manchester United because I think Ralph Ragnik, he's going to come in with a p- plan and just give a big boost in, for the Manchester United players. So I think having a proper plan and having that boost, I think it's going to carry them a decent bit throughout the season for the, at least the rest of the season.
1: I think the expectations for Manchester United are pretty spot on for what you just said too. Is at least get top four in the Premier League and then win one of these competitions. And I feel like the one question I would have is under Ralph Radnick, you're probably going to go with a gegenpress, press, obviously. But are certain players that you know are cornerstones of the team, like Ronaldo, probably ain't going to press. Yeah. <laughs> so, But he hasn't pressed for in for years, that. though. Yeah. He hasn't pressed in years. He's an old man. i can yeah. kind of give him a break. He's like 36, 37. So that's the only thing you probably have to kind of worry about. But, I mean, he's also Ronaldo. So he'll definitely get you the goals, the clutch goals when you need him. So it's kind of just building the other 10 around, or I guess nine, since one is a goalkeeper. Unless <laughs> the goalkeeper you want to hate press. Yeah, goalkeeper <laughs> press. It just rushes out a goal. <laughs> just hold why? But uh, basically, that's the only thing I can really think of, where mm-hmm. it'd be a slight immediate, immediate concern with yeah. this new it'll, style.
0: It, it'll definitely be interesting to see how you kind of incorporate Ronaldo because I guess one manager that doesn't press or does employ kind of a pressing strategy is Mauricio Pochettino. And he was oddly enough linked heavily with the United job before Ralph Ragnick was confirmed, but he has a front three of Mbappe, Neymar and Messi who don't do any defensive work at all. And essentially they just walk around on the ball when they don't have the ball. But you've seen how having three of those players that don't follow his pressing style, kind of hurt the team in terms of what they can do offensively and defensively. But, you know, I feel like I have enough trust in Ralph that, you know, he's a smart enough tactician to figure out what can you do to kind of supplement Ronaldo or what can you do to kind of protect his liability in terms of not being able to press 24 seven. Um, maybe that pressing has to fall more on the likes of Bruno Rashford, Sancho, you know, Sancho has done this with Dortmund before we're playing in that kind of pressing style. Um, so, I don't know, it's question marks, but I, I feel like it'll be interesting, interesting to see, you know, for the first couple games, where does Ronaldo play and like how is he employed as a player um, under Ralph Ragnick in terms of getting mm. the most out of him, but also making sure, you know, you don't run him to the ground because like you said, he's 36. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and there's also a little difference seeing, under Michael Carrick at least, Ronaldo getting benched at times. Yeah. Or he wasn't afraid to bench him. So, we'll also have to see how Ralph Ragnick goes with his players because under you know Mike, Michael Carrick he wasn't afraid to kind of change up the team whereas under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, he he's very much like all right these are my favorite <laughs> my favorite players they're gonna play every game Luke Shaw Harry Maguire <laughs> Ronaldo they're all playing no matter what so they're yeah. playing every minute <laughs> so we'll see what Ralph Ragnick does us too because it's like mm-hmm. forget Manchester United are pretty deep they're pretty stacked like I feel yeah. like that's a big advantage that it was not taking full you know Take, not fit, taking into full effect yeah. under Allegri and Yeah. whereas you like have multiple players that, is, that can play pretty mm-hmm. much
0: every position at this point you would think
1: yeah you know, which is crazy that's that's a that's a benefit that kind of have to exploit and mm-hmm. i feel like we'll see what he does yeah so it's looking I, promising once again yeah, for Manchester first,
0: United his first game will actually be this um this weekend this sunday against crystal palace so he, he got his work visa in he was actually in the stadium when um united beat arsenal today 3-2, um, but he will be able to be on the touchline on Sunday. So that'll be the first match in the Ralph Racknick era. So it'll be interesting to see how everything kind of pans out and what happens. But uh, yeah, I'm excited. I think a lot of Manchester United fans are, and we're just excited to see what happens for the rest of the season. But I guess moving I'm on sparing. from, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. I don't know what will happen. You know, we've, we've been saying that United are back for a couple of years now and it just never ends up panning true, but maybe this might be the, time where it actually all comes together. But uh, moving from, I guess, one German manager who had an influence on another German manager, um, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, uh, basically making um, the Merseyside Derby. They they just dominate the Merseyside Derby each year. I feel like I haven't seen Klopp lose one in forever, but uh, they beat Everton 4-1 at Goodison Park. Rafa Benitez on the Everton side. First time um, on the Merseyside Derby as an Everton manager. So a little bit weird to see that. But uh I know the Liverpool fans were chanting something. They're like Rafa's at the wheel or Rafa uh they were basically singing some sort of chant to Rafa yeah. and I thought that was just straight jokes because like that's Everton's manager now. So I forgot what it was, but it was just straight jokes that
1: you know Rafa Benitez is on an eight game losing streak. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yes, he's taking them down from within. <laughs> it's like I mean, he's a great manager. It's just, I don't know what's going on over there on that other side of the touchline with Everton. But I, I, the thing I really want to point out too is that this is, I feel like, the first Merseyside derby for Everton. An Everton player did not severely injure a Liverpool <laughs> player. Like, we don't have Van Dijk out with an ACL tear after Pickford jumped on his kneecap. Oh, we yeah, don't yeah. have like, like a Yeah, like a Richarlison, like two-foot tackling. Like Thiago, <laughs> yeah, getting, knocking geez. him out for a few months. Like, yeah, like Diva Carigi at one point got his ankle basically sprained from, I forgot who it was. But like, it's just the list goes on. It's just always a scary thing to see whenever you see the Merseyside derby. It's like, all right, please no one get injured. Gosh dang. But, you know, a 4 1 was pretty dominant. It looked like Liber- Everton. This is one of the worst Everton sides I've seen. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Even under Rafa Benitez. Or maybe it's just a really good Liverpool side. But, Liverpool are also on a game streak with two plus goals, which is also an insane stat just to have out there where in the last 18 games, they have at least scored two. Yeah. So that's, that's a lot. It's pretty cool. And for Everton, they're basically, I think in their last eight games as well, their last eight games that they lost, they've only scored five and conceded 17. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't know what's going on with Everton. Like it's, it's a little scary to see under Rafa Benitez, but I mean, we'll see what happens there because, like, their expectations were to get into Europa League, but, you know, that's kind of just being thrown against the wall. And just, <laughs> just, yeah, they, they did right have there. to
0: lose a, a couple players and they did bring in, you know, a couple of, I guess, free or cheap signings like Andres Townsend, who has yeah, but- come up with some goals here and there, but you know, that's also his, he's Andres, you know, he's Andres Townsend. I don't know what you're going to be expecting out of him. And they got Uh, Damari
1: Gray, all of them, like he scored a goal, but I mean, they're sitting in 14th place right now, right above a a leads team that was kind of struggling for a good chunk of the first half of the season. So
0: yeah, I don't know. Everton is weird. I think also, um, when it comes to Rafa, at least I, his last big, big time job was Real Madrid, I believe, in 2016, and he got sacked. I think what yeah, in the first couple well. months, <laughs> like then that was like when Zidane took over, and Zidane took him to three straight Champions Leagues. So I, I think, um, unfortunately, it's it may be one of those things where kind of like Jose Mourinho, where Benitez is kind of, you know, when you know it's it hurts to say, but almost like past his prime, where you're just kind of, you know, kind of doing whatever type of gigs you want, but. I think the way he also sets up and plays is not very suited for the modern type of game where, you know, he's the type of manager to basically keep everyone compact, keep them in a shell, and then just hit on the counterattack. And that's Jose Mourinho's bread and butter as well, where it's, you know, sit on the counterattack, sit on, you know, set up a bus and then hit him on the counterattack. But nowadays with managers like Pep Guardiola, Jurgen Klopp, you know, Thomas Tuchel, in a sense, is almost like, you know, kind of park the bus, but he does implement a very aggressive pressing strategy to win the ball back immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, but these type of players and this managerial style, it's all about high press, get the ball back right away, and then hit him on the counterattack, hit him fast. And Jose Mourinho and Rafa Benitez are more like, let's sit back and let the game come to us and then hit. Um, but I, I think nowadays it's, it's a little too hard to... It's too hard to play that way. And I think we're seeing a lot of managers that do play that way kind of get burned and unfortunately go on long losing streaks because it's just, unfortunately, just not how the game is played now.
1: Yeah. You've seen like prolific managers like Carlo Ancelotti as well. Kind yeah. Of, I feel like you can throw him into that same bin with <laughs> Rafa Benitez and Jose Mourinho, where they used to be really good managers that would win trophies with big clubs. Yeah. But now it's like, it's like, man, those like old old news now so <laughs> i mean it's kind of weird to see it's just look at everton managers it's like oh yep it's probably one of those kind of managers but i mean besides that that's just something to keep a note of for everton where the standards are pretty good on them and pretty high on them at least to make it into europa league and now they're kind of struggling to make it into mid table
0: yeah and it, it does suck i think um they hit dominic Calvert lewin i think he's been out for like 14 games i think he's just been out for a long time and that that. You know, when it comes to him and Richarlison, I think Calvert-Lewin is a bit better than Richarlison. Or when they do play together, I feel like they complement each other really well because Calvert-Lewin is more of the, uh, you know, kind of physical striker. And Richarlison's more play, get him behind, use his pace type thing. So I think when they get Calvert-Lewin back, it'll be a big boost. But yeah, having Calvert-Lewin not there is a big blow to them attacking. He also was
1: like their top goal scorer last season as well. he was. But man... But for a team like this, you can't be falling apart <laughs> with one player out. Yeah, Come on, man. So even though their whole defense is basically still the same. Mm-hmm. So it's like something, something's not right. It's just it was kind of eye-opening to see a, like a Merseyside derby like that. So one-sided to the point where it's like... <laughs> well, Liverpool are also see. really good. So They're also really good, but like, yeah. dang, you, you saw Everton fans just leave. <laughs> yeah, after
0: the first goal, some of them were leaving. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're like 20 minutes in. Like, De- DeMar Grady even scored that that goal to kind of and they're already them back heading in the game. out they're already heading out it was like that <laughs> manchester united liverpool game where it just is an exodus at halftime from all yeah. those man U but fans. it was what but i mean four, no one, it was four nil at that point yeah like that one made more sense but man <laughs> it was
0: one nil <laughs> after two minutes or ten minutes and they're like i'm out i'm, I'm out of
1: this i'm done
0: i'm done gosh uh, but i mean liverpool were, I mean, even when they did concede that goal, I mean they were just ridiculous. Like after they conceded that goal, they just went on again like full press, like we're just gonna like hammer you. And then Diego Jota scored the goal. I think someone made a joke. They're like, I don't think Diego Jota has like a weak foot. He just he doesn't. He just scores star weak foot. <laughs> yeah, he just scores from everywhere, like left foot, right foot, headers. I mean, the guy the little guy just comes up with goals. And I think Jurgen Klopp made a comment that, you know, he has all the qualities to be almost did he say Liverpool legend or just a really great Liverpool goal scorer? Um Jurgen Klopp said something like that in the presser where he just has all the qualities to be, you know, a top class player. And he's showing that. I think, you know, when they bought him from Wolves, he had flashes of that last season, but he's really kind of put together a more consistent run of just goals and assists and being an impact player, especially when Firmino's been out.
1: Mm-hmm. I feel like Diogo Jolta is one of those players that does all the basic things right is like all right you should do at least this really well at a minimum level playing for like professional football and i feel like diogo Jota has everything on that on a t whereas like if like you know growing up people always be like who would who would you look at which kind of players would you look at to see how to play well and like what you should do tactically in your as a player and how you should play kind of safe or not safe but like what's like the best Practice of how to do something, and then people would be like, "Yeah, just watch Xavi play for Barcelona." Yeah. It's like he'll he knows where to always be. Like he plays the right pass every time. Like he's not he doesn't do anything dumb. He's always standing in the right spot, playing the right ball. So, like Diogo Jota, I feel like right now he does he does everything right, and then it kind of makes him a little underrated at times too. Because like we never put him in like the top of anything. Like he's always just he's getting the goals. He's doing everything that Liverpool needs, but. He's never like above or even in the same tier as Salah or Mane. So mm-hmm. that's, just, that's just a thing. Yeah, he's even he, still uh, like just 82 rated in FIFA. <laughs> yeah,
0: and he's also a really good FIFA player. He's like one of the best in the world. He yeah. Like last week, actually, he had to quit his FIFA tournament midweek or mid-game so he could get ready for the game. Uh, Liverpool is like actual Premier League game and he did score that game and he hit a FIFA celebration after scoring. So um, sometimes it's not fair. This man did the Gator
1: Chomp for a yeah. celebration and I lost a little bit of respect in him. I was like, <laughs> "Man, you can't be doing the UF celebration." Yeah. I was like,
0: "Yeah, he's good come at on, FIFA man. and then also good in real life. It's just not fair sometimes."
1: I know. It's so meta just to see him controlling <laughs> himself in a video game and he's good in both. <laughs> it's some crazy things. But I also wanted to mention as well while we're on this topic of just players that are going to have to step up as well cuz In January you know those two players we mentioned Salah and Firmino or not Salah and Firmino but Salah and Mane (laughs) they will be out for the AFCON competition which is basically like the Copa America or
0: yeah Africa Cup of Nations yeah Africa
1: Cup Cup of Nations where Mm -hmm. they have it in January because I guess Africa gets really hot in the summer Mm -hmm. but actually no it's their it's their summer now because they're in the southern hemisphere yeah yeah yeah
0: (laughs) but it's always just been in that month it's always been in January mm -hmm.
1: So basically, Liverpool are going to lose both players for a good chunk of January, if not the whole month, if they make it really far. <laughs> and they're going to have to have a contingency plan. They're going to have, to have Firmino, Jota and our guy Minamino step up in their place. And, you know, Divock can coming off the bench a little bit more often to kind of fill that void. Because, you know, losing Salah and losing Mane it's like the two best wingers in the world. <laughs> it's like this is going to be a little bit rough. Especially Salah. No,
0: he's like on fire.
1: He's literally Ballon d'Or for next year. <laughs> but, I mean, Minamino is starting to get a few more minutes, a lot more significant minutes, getting some starts. And he scored his first Premier League goal against Arsenal yeah. a couple weeks ago. So, that's promising. And I will we don't really talk about rumors on this podcast, but Adama Traore. I saw a rumor that he might come in January for 20 million pounds. I don't know how reliable that source is, but I like <laughs> hearing it. <laughs> so... I mean, Liverpool do have the firepower and the the war chests kind of in reserves, like very locked up within like 10 chests, I feel like, if they really nah. need it. 20 million is not that much, but... Just no, go they're, sign they're Timo kind of,
0: Werner. Hmm.
1: <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> I'd rather get Adama, man. He's one of my favorites. <laughs> but that's something just to also keep a note of, where it's like there's going to be a lot of games upcoming in December, but when January hits, we're going to be losing those two key figures, and that's Liverpool team so that's something to keep in mind oh I'm so scared for that yeah that's I, that's a, yeah one thing too I'm just like I don't know about the title for this season we're gonna <laughs> lose them both
0: yeah it'll, I think you know Liverpool is a good enough club and Klopp is a good enough manager to kind of manage the Is it's two like you said it's two really really big players and especially Salah kind of being the man carrying Liverpool this season but you know you still have the solid defense behind you you got the midfield I Feel like Klopp can do enough maneuvering or tinkering to get by with results. And, you know, when they do come back, then it's like full on kick on from there Um, because other teams will also be losing some key stars. I know Mares will be out for Man City um, and he's been in some pretty dazzling form this season. And then uh, Mendy for Chelsea, Uh, Edward Mendy will also be gone. So they'll have to play Kepa. And, you know, for what it's worth, I would say Kepa has done a good job in cup competitions, kind of being the emergency relief goalkeeper. But, When it comes to consistently playing in the league, maybe there there could be some slip ups there. So, I think every big team is kind of, uh, you know, will be strapped for a little bit of their talent. Um, Some of their key players are going to be gone for this tournament. You're giving me
1: some relief right now. And also (laughs) thinking about it now, I did just roast Everton for falling apart after losing one player. So, you know, Liverpool don't be Everton. (laughs) No, we have the depth. We should be fine.
0: Yeah. And I, I think also in this game, Henderson scored his first Merseyside mm-hmm. Derby goal. It was actually he scored.
1: It was a great goal, like left-footed, one touch. He yeah. just came in stone cold, like he, like his face coming into the game. He was like, all right. It's, it looked like he was going to war, <laughs> which basically this game is usually in terms yeah, of injuries, scary. but it's a scary place, Goodison Park, yeah. to be as a Liverpool player. Yeah. Oof. But he it's did like pick up with like randos are really good that slide tackle <laughs> like you never want that really aggressive so <laughs> like you don't know if you're gonna go to the hospital after this game
0: yeah really aggressive but hey you guys did pick up a win still in a Premier league title race with chelsea is chelsea a one point lead i believe over you and city um so the title race it's a three-team title race and it's really really entertaining to see what happens it's a lot of drama and basically all tied in the same goal differential so i mean it's it's, it's a really good title race. That's all I can say. So, Liverpool continuing their hot stride. But um, I guess moving on last – or not last week, but a, um, a couple days ago, Tuesday, um, the Ballon d'Or or the results of like FIFA's Ballon d'Or or not FIFA, France's – France football, like the federation or whatever, their Ballon d'Or, which is, you know, given to the best player um, – from the French press or the media, they vote for the best player in the world for that calendar year. So, like 2021, who is the best player? Um, they had their awards night on Tuesday, so we saw the Ballon d'Or given out, the women's Ballon d'Or, the Copa trophy, and the Yashin trophy um given out. And it's and if you didn't know, in 2020, the year of COVID, when COVID happened, um the French Football Federation they decided to cancel the Ballon d'Or ceremony that year and cancel all awards because of the stoppage in playing COVID and yeah basically the stoppage of play ruining things and i'm sure we all know for all football fans but if you didn't know robert lewandowski during the year of 2020 had probably his most prolific year of goal scoring trophy winning pretty much won it all won the bundesliga won the champions league won the fifa club world cup um was the top top goal scorer in all all of europe was a monster and it was all predicted that he was going to win the ballon d'or the award got canceled and it was Pretty sad because he was such a good player, but in 2021, he kept up the same form, won a good amount of trophies, and was still that prolific goal scorer. So coming in to the Ballon d'Or ceremony, it was basically a three-horse race between him, uh, Lionel Messi, and Jorginho. Jorginho only for the fact that he won the Euros, Champions League, and UEFA Super Cup, but really it was down to Robert Lewandowski and Messi. And the award was eventually given to uh, Lionel Messi um, because of his... um, essentially carrying a struggling Barcelona team, winning the Copa America and, you know, doing decently well with PSG. But a lot of people still say that Robert Lewandowski was robbed of the award. You know, I don't like getting too involved with the awards in terms of like, you know, who should get what? Cause I think at the end of the day, they're like, you know, it is cool to kind of be recognized for that. But I think as we've seen, I think a lot of people are saying that at the Ballon d'Or, at least, or a lot of these football awards have basically kind of be- become popularity contests. And it's, essentially we're still living in the era of ronaldo and messi so while those two are still playing at a high level it's really hard to justify other players getting it because unfortunately they just set such a high standard of what's achievable and i think a lot of people still hold them those two players at such a high regard that it would be hard for another player to kind of break the shackles or break the kind of the current trend we've saw we've seen it with luka modric in 2018 but a lot of people felt robert lewandowski should have given should have gotten the award but Um, you know, I'm not here there. I feel like both players definitely did deserve it because Messi did deliver Argentina a title after a 28 year drought, which is a huge deal. Um, and that's a really big thing, but I mean, both players are good. I wish there was a way we could just give Robert Lewandowski his award in 2020 and call it a day. So all the argument could stop, but I don't know. I I just don't know if it's going to be possible. It's kind of like that
1: reasoning for we should just give everyone an award yeah. <laughs> that deserves <laughs> one, and sometimes you're just you're sometimes you're a Robert Lewandowski who's just yeah. Polish and couldn't really do much in the Euros, and that's the deal breaker honestly mm-hmm. for why I think Messi won the Ballon d'Or for this season because Robert Lewandowski, uh, uh, although I would say you got a little snubbed, you know I'm I'm a big Messi fan obviously you know shout out to all the five seven people out there, <laughs> but I mean for Robert Lewandowski it's just kind of. His situation where it's like he could win almost everything he could have for club, but for country, that's where it kind of fell apart. Whereas for Messi, you know, for club, it wasn't that great. But for country, he basically did something phenomenal. He did something historical. And I think that was the main difference. And he's also Lionel Messi. So (laughs) who knows if we just didn't know who this man was and just kind of looked at the season objectively. Maybe it would have been a little different, but I think, you know, he's still going to get props. Lionel Messi winning the seventh Ballon d'Or in his career. And now broke his own record for most Ballon d'Ors won by one player.
0: Yeah, Yeah, He already broke it with six. Now he has seven. So he has two more than I think Ronaldo only has five. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a lot. And I that, you know, whether we see another player or another two players like Messi and Ronaldo ever again, kind of competing at such a high level consistently. I mean, I just don't know if we're going to see it because we were actually talking, I think, before the show, you we're we're starting to see, or we have seen, a lot of players like Fernando Torres level where they're at the peak of their powers for three years, and then I don't know what happens; they just completely fall off a cliff or a ladder. Like Alexi Sanchez was in the same boat of three years of dominance, and then just falls off. Mezzedoso was kind of like that. Um, we've just seen so many players where two or three years they're really good, and then they just kind of bounce off. Or we see players like Modric or Cruz where they're consistently good, but you know they play at a really high level, but they're not you know being extraterrestrial uh, you know whether that's because messi and ronaldo have set that such a high bar that you know maybe we're just comparing unrealistic statistics from people i don't know it, it uh, they've just set such a high bar that i i don't know if it'll ever be ch- achieved again from like two players i don't think
1: we'll see two players like this in the same generation again <laughs> yeah. in our
0: at least in our lifetime
1: I, I think that's just my key because like we literally put them in the same conversation as every year. Yeah, every year. <laughs> yeah. And then like if you think about it, it'd be like we compare them to like Pele, Johan Cruyff, like the all time greats like Maradona. So yeah. but you don't hear us talking about like Mbappe in Holland yeah. like that. It's just like, oh, they're going to be really good, but you're not going to be like insane like Messi and Ronaldo. So I think this this might be the, the coming to an end for at least these two folks because they're also sustained this kind of level for so many years like they've yeah. been at this insane superstar level for Since the past like, like 15 years
0: like 2008 was the first year Ronaldo won the Ballon d'Or and then after that mm-hmm. Messi won it but even before then they were doing this in 2006 04 05 it's crazy yeah
1: as like 18 19 year olds they're like making huge strides and now at 34 37 years old they're still doing <laughs> you know not as high but it's, they're, they're still a lot better than a lot of other players in the world yeah. even in their primes so I mean, that's, you know, I give some credit to there. So, Lino Messi wins Ballon d'Or. Yeah.
0: And then- oh, I was going to say that uh, uh, Ronaldo, he finished sixth in the voting. But what was interesting was Neymar, I think he finished 19th or 13th in the voting. Um finished 19th? Th- yeah, he finished pretty low. Or he finished, like, decently high. But, you know, a lot of people felt like that was kind of... Uh, you know, not very well deserved. And what yeah, was no interesting, one
1: likes him, I guess <laughs> Yeah,
0: he hasn't finished in the top three since he joined PSG. And I don't know, man, I think Neymar was caught. I'll say this real quickly. I think Neymar was caught in a weird in-between of like, he was caught in the peak years of Ronaldo and Messi. So it would be really hard for him to win the Ballon d'Or. But I don't know, maybe when we look back on his career, he might be one of those players that we look back and like, what if he just gave a little bit more of like what You know, what could have been if he didn't get hurt as much, you know, with injuries and everything. I think that's one of the things because he definitely has a talent level of those two. But, you know, he just gets hurt way too often. And there's just been, I don't know, something off every now and again with him, even though he's a really talented player. He's a really talented player, but just something it just never all comes together for some reason.
1: I feel like anytime he's put as the big man, you know, to lead Brazil or to lead a team like PSG. He just he just doesn't have that gene. I feel like yeah, to make it all the way and win win the whole dang thing. Mm-hmm. And he's always in Messi's shadow, some way somehow. Even at PSG <laughs> now, Messi comes back from Barcelona, <laughs> still in his shadow. <laughs> so there's no escaping it. Mm-hmm. But man, I will. I also do want to say, the highest the the player with the most votes for Ballon d'Or as a goalkeeper was Ali Sun. So I was oh, happy yeah. about that. True, Ali That's Sun, true. baby.
0: Yeah, so Ballon d'Or, it was a big topic of conversation and it will continue to be because there are definitely going to be a lot of people saying Lewandowski should have won it. But um, beyond that, in the uh, women's, uh, who won the women's Ballon d'Or was Alexia Puteas. Um, She's actually a midfielder for Barcelona's women's team. Um, And she's actually, I think she was part of the academy. So she's been Barcelona, like, you know, born and bred. And what was interesting is like, Barcelona was the first team or the club is the first um, first club for the men's and women's to basically have a Ballon d'Or winner on the men's and women's side and for the men's and women's team to win a treble. So, you know, Barcelona are doing some big things club-wise, even though their men's team is struggling financially. They still making strides on on both sides of the game. But uh, Pedri won the Copa trophy, which is a trophy given to the best young player. But this time, unlike the Golden Boy, this one's actually decided by a former Ballon d'Or winner. So, Pedri won that, and then the Yashin Trophy was given to Donnarumma. Um, a lot of people felt like Eduard Mendy was a uh, uh, was robbed of that trophy after his really good year with Chelsea in the league and the Champions League, but ultimately went to Donnarumma for the Euro. His performance in the Euro, so I don't know. It's a toss up there, but uh, yeah, I know the trophies had uh, some people a little bit uh, heated in the conversations. I mean, it's really are those
1: competitions, those international competitions that make that big difference. Exactly. I guess it's really like if you think about it, when you think of a global scale, more people probably watch those international competitions like average folks than probably club. So that's also probably why there might be a little yeah. bit more weight because like you can probably think the average person probably watch at least one Euros game. Or if you watch, yes, it's like, have you watched a Premier League game yet? It's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it's probably like situations like that it's mm-hmm. like they had a little bit more eyes on there, but you know, you know, give some we'll congrats see. to Padri and yeah. Donnarumma and
0: Patellas. Yeah, here we go. So you know, we have to give props there. But uh, I guess moving on to the last section, the preview section. Um, pretty decent games. But to start it off, we have West Ham Chelsea, which are the f- the first game on Saturday morning, seven thirty in the morning. Um, West Ham fourth place or in the fifth place right now. Chelsea um, top of the league. West Ham slipped up a little bit, but you know, they're still a tough outing. Chelsea slipped up against Manchester United with the draw at home to, at Stamford Bridge, but they did pick up a win um, recently against Watford. You know, West Ham are a tough draw, but I, I still have my bets on Chelsea. I think Chelsea can still get a win. I think they'll probably end up winning 2-0. I think Chelsea is going to just make this very scrappy game
1: like West Ham <laughs> have been I, I will say still it's it's pretty surprising how well they're doing yeah without Messi Lingard or in my <laughs> opinion because like that's when they kind of turned it around last season when they yeah. brought in Jesse Lingard so with Chelsea though they're still basically you know first in the table and they're first in the table for a reason and it's, it's it's hard to say like you know even with West Ham being a home I always get, like to give home field advantage as like an actual key Element to kind of anticipating and predicting what the final outcome would be, but I mean, this Chelsea side is their main point of like I guess like their main their best aspect is their defense. Like they rarely concede any goals. You can just see Edward Mindy's stats, where it's like he plays as many games <laughs> as he has clean sheets, almost. Yeah, or like goals conceded, I should say. Yeah. So I think this will be a really scrappy one-nil for Chelsea
0: because
1: mm-hmm. I I don't see how West Ham is going to score on them.
0: True, true. So we both got uh, Chelsea wins there. Um, In the Mm. next game, we have Everton versus Arsenal. Arsenal going into Goodison Park. As Tyler mentioned, um, Everton are an eight-game losing streak. Rafa Benitez is uh, um, not looking too hot right now, but Mm. Goodison Park is a tough place to play. Arsenal, they're still good. I wouldn't say they lost all their momentum, but have slept up a little bit after losing to Liverpool. They did pick up a win last week, but then they lost again to a big rival with Manchester United. I still think Arsenal is the better team, but I think Rafa Benitez is going to want a big reaction from his side after getting kind of battered by Liverpool. So, um, I'm actually, I, I think this game will probably end in a one, one draw. I think Everton can do enough noise wise with Goodison Park and also aggressiveness and kind of shake up, uh, shake Arsenal up a little bit.
1: Hmm. Kind of take into account one of the goals Arsenal scored today against Manchester United in the Premier League was when De Gea was just glitched out on the floor after being (laughs) stepped on by Fred. And then Emil Smith-Rowe just scored an open goal while he was just curled up into a ball. So, I mean, Arsenal technically only scored one goal. (laughs) So, hmm. It's hard to say because I feel like Arsenal, they've done really well beating the teams that they're stronger than on. If you just look at the team sheets and just be like, okay, which which team has the better players? And the team, like if Arsenal looks like they have the better players, just based on that, usually they do win. But when they face a top six team or like a team that's maybe going for Europa League, that's when they struggled. So under that streak where they were undefeated, with Arteta recently, yeah, they, they didn't, didn't face a team, yeah, they, like, yeah, they didn't face a team in the top six or like anything like that. That was too crazy. Besides maybe Tottenham, yeah, and but, Leicester.
0: They played Leicester, but Leicester were struggling.
1: Mm-hmm. So it was just good timing right there. But Everton, I mean, this is great timing to face Everton. Like this is probably one of the worst times for Everton to have a big game. So if anything, Everton needs to face Norwich <laughs> or Newcastle. <laughs> so I think Arsenal are actually going to win this two mm. two nil. Because under Ramsdale, I will say he's he's Godsdale with the Arsenal fans for a reason. And even even though they lost, Arsenal lost to Manchester United three two today. They looked pretty good and pretty dominant for at least the first half. And it's just the second half. You know, they just saw Ronaldo score two goals, and then it's like, all right, time to turn up. <laughs> so I think Arsenal will snag the two nil. All
0: right. Well, I I think it'll end up a one one draw, but uh, Tyler's pulling out the two nil. Arsenal, Arsenal dub for them. And then uh, finally, kind of a surprising list, but not really given the circumstances of what's the storylines for this game. But it's Manchester United, Crystal Palace game at Old Trafford. Obviously, the opponent is not the 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 draw here, but it is the uh, first match that Ralph Ragnick will be under the touchline where he'll have full control of the team selection, how he sets up the team. This is a kind of a big watch because every Manchester United fan will kind of be glued into seeing how the team performs and who he picks and what happens. Um, you know, I feel like regardless, I feel like with him being on the touchline, Old Trafford's going to be bouncing. Players are going to get a big boost. So I, I think they'll probably win this game. I, I I would go 3-0. I think they can probably sneak out a clean sheet as well for this game. 3-0. Yeah. That's a big
1: score. Yeah. But I, I agree. I think it will be something <laughs> big. <laughs> Because, I mean, like my, my tests kind of see for their opponent, Crystal Palace, like Manchester United's opponent, Crystal Palace this weekend, will be kind of seeing Aston Villa versus Crystal Palace two weeks ago when Stevie G kind of took the realm. It's like, all right, let's see how he does against Crystal Palace. And they won 2-1. And this Manchester United side is on another tier from Aston Villa, <laughs> if I'm being honest. <laughs> so, like a 3-0, I, I wouldn't be too surprised. It's like, how many can you tack on? It would just be really interesting to see kind of as we kind of alluded to from this whole podcast, first half of this podcast episode <laughs> with Ralph Radnick, how the team's going to play, like are they going to play a completely different style, which is what we're anticipating, and also who gets that starting gig, because with this kind of like gang press style, not everyone can play it and not everyone can last the whole 90 minutes. So we're going to see basically who can survive it and how well they do. Yeah. So I'm gonna say 3-0 to Manchester United too. I'll I'll agree. Yeah. And also just I just hate Crystal Palace. So three <laughs> 0 sounds great. So Christ- yeah, so uh-huh. I
0: both calling Manchester United victories there. But uh yeah, that kind of wraps up season four, episode one thirty-three for us. As we always say, you can give us a follow at the premier at the Premier Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also watch video versions of the podcast on YouTube at the Premier Pod. Um, and if you listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, um please if you feel Feel like it, please leave, give us a ra- rating and review. Um, any type of review or rating gives us a boost on the podcast platform and helps us get us noticed to uh, more people. Um, and we also saw the Spotify wrap that came out a couple of days ago. I'm sure everyone was seeing everyone's. Um, instagram stories and what they were listening to but wanted to give a big shout out on there i'm sure you know on spotify alone but on other platforms we did see a boost in terms of who was following style so showing the picture right there uh, boost in follower growth and also boost in um uh, listenership and people w- listening and viewing to the episode so we appreciate all the new people that have joined us for this past year it's been a been kind of a crazy year with the amount of games we've played and just the amount of podcasts we put out but um, we appreciate all the people after seeing the numbers and everything Um, we see you guys and we thank you guys for the support on all those fronts so um yeah can't say enough thank yous in one episode but as we always say thank you for listening um, to season four episode 133 of the podcast Um, that does it for us peace peace